Hope you're having a great day. It's a big day here at Grace as we think about uh, Grace Point and our new campus. They're doing their sort of soft launch today. It's just a trial run for them today in the next couple weeks. And then that hard launch that we were talking about earlier happening on March 19th. Hope you'll be praying for them and for that outreach uh, opportunity for us as a church. Today, here, we get the opportunity to open our new series, Lost and Found, and uh, sort of excited about doing that. Going to look at a familiar story. Probably all of us know the story of Zacchaeus. Um, we've heard it since we were small. We sang the song. We listened to our Sunday school teachers teach it to us. But we're going to take another look and uh, just read through it. It won't take long. It's a short story. Okay, sorry. Luke 19, Luke 19, verse 1. It says this, talking about Jesus, he entered Jericho and was passing through, and there was a man called by the name of Zacchaeus. He was a chief tax collector, and he was rich. Zacchaeus was trying to see who Jesus was and was unable because of the crowd, for he was small in stature. So he ran on ahead and climbed up into a sycamore tree in order to see him, for he was about to pass through that way. When Jesus came to the place, He looked up and said to him, Zacchaeus, hurry and come down, for today I must stay at your house. And he hurried and came down and received him gladly. When they saw it, they all began to grumble, saying, He has gone to be the guest of a man who is a sinner. Zacchaeus stopped and said to the Lord, Behold, Lord, half of my possessions I will give to the poor. And if I have defrauded anyone of anything, I will give back four times as much. And Jesus said to him, Today salvation has come to this house, because he too is a son of Abraham. For the Son of Man has come to seek and to save that which is lost. So there you've got it. The only in the story in the Bible about an Irishman. We know he is Irish because he was a wee little man. You know, I think sometimes we think about Zacchaeus being small, and uh, you know, I know as a kid, when I heard that story so many times in Sunday school and such, I think I, I really, I sort of connected to Zacchaeus. I felt, I felt like close to Zacchaeus in some way, because there's so much like him when you're a kid, you know, you hear it, he's small, and you're small, and he climbed in trees, and we climbed in trees, and you know, he ran and we ran. There's so much about him that made us feel sort of connected to him. I got Zacchaeus. The problem is the Jewish people at that time didn't get Zacchaeus at all. They didn't sympathize with him in any way. His name literally means righteous one. Of course, they thought probably thought that was a joke. Zacchaeus, yeah, right, righteous one. There's nothing righteous about this guy. He's, he's not an enjoyable guy. He's not a likable person. I mean, if you're going to sit here right now and just try to picture him in your mind, you probably think uh, Danny DeVito, okay? <laughs> you know some of the characters that Danny DeVito played. They're, they're always a little bit disgusting, this despicable little guy, sort of slimy. That's Zacchaeus. He's rich, but he's gotten rich off the backs of others. He's a tax collector, and we, and we know Tax collectors—they were looked at at, the, at one of the lowest, as one of the lowest forms of life by the other Jewish people. The, the Romans 
farmed out this job and they allowed the guys who were the tax collectors to skim and cheat money from people that they were collecting from. This is sort of the benefits of the job. And so he's looked on as a cheat, but even more than that, not only was he a cheat, but he was also, as he got rich off these people, uh, they, they especially didn't like him because he was working for the Romans. And so he's viewed as someone who is, is a traitor to his own people. He's helping out this occupying force that was oppressing them. I mean, they, tax collectors were viewed so lowly, they were, they were viewed on, on basically on the same level as someone who had committed murder. And even more for Zacchaeus, Zacchaeus is, a, is, a, is, is not just a tax collector, we're told he's a chief tax collector. He's the head honcho of tax collectors in a very significant city. See, Jericho was one of three main tax offices in the country. There was one in Capernaum, there was one in Caesarea, and there's one in Jericho. And Jericho had sort of become the place to go to. It was a place to be. Anthony, in, in 35 BC, had given the city of Jericho to Cleopatra as a gift, in, in, as a token of his affection for her. They, they pass away, and then Herod the Great comes along, and he builds a winter palace in Jericho. Still today, it's, there's a, it's an oasis. There's a, in the middle of nowhere, in the middle of this desert, and there's Jericho and palm trees and everything. It's, it's a city that people were drawn to. It became the center of, uh, of trade, and there's especially there was one product that was producing ba this balsam, this aromatic uh, fragrant, soothing lotion that they, that they were selling all over the place. One reason why Cleopatra wanted the city so much. And so this is selling everywhere, and they're on a major trade route. And so there's all kinds of money flowing in and out of Jericho. And, and Zacchaeus, as, he, as this, all this is going on, he is raking it in as the chief tax collector there. He's course, again, doing it off of everybody else's efforts. That's what Zacchaeus was. That's how everyone viewed him. But Jesus comes along and he changes everything. And we know how it happened. Because Zacchaeus is short and because there's a crowd around Jesus, he did two things a grown man typically wouldn't do. He, he ran, which was considered uh, undignified, too undignified for an adult man to do, but he ran. He ran ahead and then he climbed up in a tree. So here's this, no doubt, well-dressed, well-educated, high-profile, wealthy man in broad daylight climbing a tree and climbing out on a limb. And it makes you wonder, what would make him willing to risk embarrassment and shame and ridicule to do something as uncharacteristic as climbing a tree where everybody could see? Well, what make him do that? And I think the answer is Zacchaeus is desperate. Desperate because even though he's rich and he's got everything materially that he'd ever want, he knows there's something missing in his life. And he's looking for answers. And along comes Jesus, and he, as he's walking the road, as he's headed toward Jerusalem to offer himself as our sacrifice, as he's walking through Jericho, he comes and he looks up in a tree, and he says, no, no. He looks up, and there's a, there's a grown man 
up in the tree. That had to have been a weird moment, right? Not, not something you see too often. Jesus looks up in the tree. There's Zacchaeus, and he calls him by name, Zacchaeus. And everybody wants to know, how did he know Zacchaeus' name? And, they, and they, the people have guessed that. They think, well, maybe Zacchaeus is so notorious that everybody knows who he is. That's possible. But I think it's more likely that Jesus knows his name because Jesus is God. And we're told, the Bible tells us, that God knows us. He knows our name. He knows every day of our life. From beginning to end, he knows how many days we'll live. He knows the number of hairs on our head. I mean, that's known as pretty good, right? He knows us. And so it's not surprising that Jesus calls Zacchaeus by name and he says to him, hurry, come down, for today I must stay at your house. Now think about that. Uh, Jesus, you know, he's got his 12 disciples traveling with him. And so this is a pretty big deal. Zacchaeus has just unexpectedly got 13 hungry men to feed. And it wasn't normal, just like it wouldn't, wouldn't be normal today, to invite yourself to someone's house, but Jesus does it. Because there's something so significant that needs to happen in Zacchaeus' life that protocol isn't the biggest concern here. See, Jesus knows exactly what Zacchaeus is like, and still he calls him by name. And Jesus knows exactly what Zacchaeus is like, and still he wants to go to his house. Because what needs to happen in Zacchaeus' life is so big that it doesn't matter about protocol. It doesn't matter what others think. It doesn't matter how bad a guy Zacchaeus has been. There's something more important than all of that, and that is that Zacchaeus comes to know Jesus. So Jesus invites himself, and there's two responses to that self-invitation. There's Zacchaeus, and he's all pumped up about it. He's, he's, he hurried and came down and received him gladly, we're told. He's so happy. I, I mean, I bet he was. How many people do you think ever wanted to go to Zacchaeus' house for dinner? Probably not many. I mean, he's a cheat and a traitor. Nobody wants to go spend the evening with Zacchaeus. Zacchaeus is used to eating alone. But here's Jesus. The one that everybody wants to be around. Everybody's following. There's a crowd around. Everybody wants to hear Jesus and see Jesus and talk to Jesus and touch Jesus. Everybody wants to be there. But he's treating Zacchaeus as a friend. This guy has been rejected by everyone around him. Now he's got a friend. And that friend is none other than Jesus himself. See, he not only knows us by name, he's also willing to be our friend in spite of anything and everything we've ever done. So Zacchaeus is like, let's go, this is great. He's so pumped up about it. But then you've got the other response, the grumblers. You know, the unnamed grumblers. They're always there, right? Always a few. And, and they're grumbling. What are they grumbling about? He has gone to be the guest of a man who is a sinner. And, and their point, obviously, is, first of all, is to put Zacchaeus down. I mean, we're, we're better than Zacchaeus. He's a sinner. 
But the point's more than that, isn't it? it? The point is, Jesus is eating with this sinner. Guess what? That means we're better than Jesus because we would never do that. We would never sit down with someone like that. But Zacchaeus so excited. His response is, 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 is not just being excited. He actually begins to make changes to his life. You know, not what you'd expect to the changes that he makes aren't what you expect from a man in his line of work. Think about how it showed up. His life up until now has been all about getting, just what he can take in. But now he's going to give away half of his possessions to the poor, 50% of his stuff. And we know Zacchaeus as a wealthy man, no doubt he's got a lot of stuff. So 50% isn't some small donation. This is little Zacchaeus showing up big. And he's not done. He says, if I've defrauded anyone of anything, I will give back four times as much. Wow, that's pretty good. That's Zacchaeus trying to do what the law required. He's multiplying while he's defrauded. You know, when, when Becky and I first got married, we owned a Chevette. Don't be jealous. You know. it, it is nice. No. It'd be, what Zacchaeus did would be like if somebody had come along and borrowed our Chevette and, and, and then they didn't bring it back. But then they came to Jesus. And then one day they left us a note and they said, Hey, I met Jesus. I'm sorry for taking your Chevette. Please find my BMW in your driveway. The keys are under the mat. It's yours. We'd be like, that works. You know? That's something what like Zacchaeus did. He multiplied the value of anything he achieved someone out of. And we've got to be careful not to misunderstand what's going on here. This isn't penance. Okay, penance. Penance is a false teaching that, you've, that when you've done something wrong, you need to pay it back so that you can be forgiven. That's not what's going on here. That's not true. This is restitution. Restitution is actually proof that you've already received God's forgiveness. See, Jesus hears Zacchaeus' response about how he's making changes, and he responds by saying, today salvation has come to this house. See, he's saying that that's proof, what Zacchaeus, the changes Zacchaeus has made, is proof that he has already been forgiven, that his heart has changed. Because meeting Jesus isn't just about excitement, it's also about a life change that happens. Zacchaeus will never be the same again. What a great, great story. And it brings us to verse 10, where Jesus gives us his whole purpose in becoming a man. His purpose statement. When he says, for the Son of Man has come to seek and to save that which is lost. The Son of Man, that's the title Jesus uses of himself most often. It's a messianic title. I think all, so he's, he's making the claim to be Messiah, but beyond that, it's also his connecting to us. Son of man. See, what he's saying is, not only is Jesus the Son of God, but as Son of man, he had to become like us, Hebrews tells us, the book of Hebrews tells us, he had to become like us in every way 
so that he could become a faithful and merciful high priest. And what's a priest do? He offers sacrifices. What Jesus did had to become like a man. Why? So that he could offer himself as a sacrifice for us. The Son of Man came, and his purpose in coming was to seek and to save. Think of those terms in light of the words search and rescue. It's really what they mean. Seek and save, search and rescue. And we get that idea. I mean, we see it on the news all the time, right? When there's some emergency, some, an earthquake has happened or some fire somewhere or somebody's lost, and there are people out, and they're on a search and rescue mission. I mentioned in a previous message that this past fall, Becky and I took a trip down to Big Bend National Park. It's so, so desolate down there. And while we were there, we bought a book called Death in Big Bend. Good reading. <laughs> Makes you feel really good. You know. So all these stories, story after story about search and rescue missions for people that had gotten lost or broken down somewhere on some off-road in the park, and, and they needed rescued. And so as we're driving around, we were doing a lot of driving, Becky would read out loud one of the stories, and we'd talk about you know, how that person got in that problem and how they were trying to save them and all that. And you got the feeling as you're reading through this, this just a sense of desperation as they're looking for these people and trying to get to them. And, and, he, and he knew the clock was ticking, that they were up against it. And because of the title of the book, Death in Big Ben, you knew what the results typically were. Here's the difference. Jesus, as he did a search and rescue mission, he wasn't looking for the living hoping to save them. He was looking for the dead, hoping to bring them life. And how do you know that? Well, it says, he's, he said, I, I he came to seek and to save that which is lost. And that word lost, it's not like, oh, this is, he's looking for somebody who's gotten off the trail, who doesn't know how to get back. The word lost actually is talking about some, someone who's destroyed whose life is ruined. He's talking about someone who doesn't have life. He came to seek and to save, to search and rescue those who were destroyed, those who were dead spiritually, and what they needed was life. See, people that don't know Jesus, they're not just hurt. They're not just wounded. They're not simply off track a little bit. They're spiritually dead, and what they need is life. And guess what happened to that mission that Jesus had of search and rescue? It got passed down to us, right? I mean, we can't save a person on our own, but we've been given that, that same mission working with him. That's what Paul, the Apostle Paul told the church at Corinth, 2 Corinthians chapter 5. He said, hey, it's, we, we've been made ambassadors for God as though God was making his appeal through us. So that mission became ours. 
the search and rescue for those who are destroyed spiritually fell to us. And what we've got to see is the time is ticking and, and, and life is short and we're up against the clock. To rescue them. The shocking thing about God's grace is that it includes those we would tend to exclude. It's not just for the people that we love, that we enjoy being around. Our our search and rescue is not just for people that are our family or friends. That's all good and it is for them, but it's not just for them. It's not even just for the poor and oppressed. We, we tend to you know, have compassion on those who are struggling in this life, and we should have. And we should reach them with the gospel. They need to hear the gospel. Their life is short as well. The clock is ticking there. The Bible gives us specific instructions about how to minister and serve them. So we need to give it to them. But it's not just to them that the gospel of God's grace goes out. It's not just for the easy. I want to point out, Jesus didn't just love those who were easy to love. He reached out to the oppressors. He reached out to, to Zacchaeus, people that we might tend to reject, people that, would, that we would turn from, people that we wouldn't think about. Jesus' heart was to reach people. It didn't matter what category you placed them in. And if we want to be like him, like we say we do, we have to begin to live out a life of search and rescue missions. And there has to be some urgency in us. It's search and rescue. Remember Jesus said to Zacchaeus, hurry and come down. Why was it such a big hurry for Zacchaeus to come down? Why did Jesus say, I've got to spend a day at your house? Because it needed to happen. It needed to happen then. There are people around you whose time is running out. And we're up against the clock. And there can't be any class of people, any category we want to lay out there. Oppressed or oppressor, rich or poor, lovable or unlovable. That we aren't willing to try to reach. On a personal level, think about it. Who is it that's hard for you to love? Who's that person? Who is it that's maybe even a little despicable in your eyes? You know, you, because of the way they treat you or because of the way they treat someone you love? You know, is it a, is it a boss? Is it a coworker? Maybe it's your neighbor. Maybe it's your spouse. Your brother, your sister. That person is so hard for you to love. You know what? They need to know Jesus. And they need to see his love from you. And you're like, well, but Tim, you don't, you don't know what they're like. You don't know what they've done. You don't know how many times they've done it. And you're right, I don't. But Jesus does. And I do know what Jesus is like. That person that we wouldn't reach out to, he would. See, there's something about our hearts that have to catch fire. We have to feel the need 
for search and rescue. Sometimes I think we just, we just don't see, see them. You know, we walk around, we're busy. We walk right past so many people. We don't see the need. We're just not, we're just not tuned into it. Our daughter, Christy, um, told me a story that happened this past year. She just told me this this past week. And you got to understand, Christy, you know, she's the lady up here playing keyboard this morning. Uh, but you got to understand, she's the type of person who would, she doesn't break any rules, if, if at all possible. She's not a rule breaker. She'd never cut in line, you know. Um, and, and the good thing about Christy, too, is she laughs at herself. She's, you know, it's enjoyable to be around somebody who can laugh at themselves. So she tells me this story. She had to get um, her teaching license renewed this past year. So she goes down to the sheriff's office and goes downstairs. If you've been down there, there's a hallway. And down at the end of the hallway, there's a room to the right with some chairs in it and stuff. And then the, you turn to the left if you're going in to get your fingerprinted or anything. There's this little short hallway and then a room where the guy is that you need to talk to about that. And so she goes down the hallway and uh, she sees the room to the right with the people sitting in there and she turns to the left and she realizes she, as she steps a few feet there that the guy's in there with somebody else and so she steps back and just waits till he's done with that person and when that person leaves she steps in and he fingerprints her and everything and then she gets up to leave and when she gets up to leave he yells out next and she realizes that room that she had walked past all these people in that was actually a line <laughs> and she had just cut in line big time and now she's got to walk past the begin to get out and so she's, she's like, oh, no. And she's, you know, she's, she's got both her little boys with her, and she's just, you know, just trying to get through. And, and so she, she actually, she's feeling so awkward, she stops in the entryway to that room, and she apologizes to the entire room. <laughs> Sometimes we, I think we're like that on a spiritual level with people. So busy about life, got every, you know, trying to balance everything, just doing life, that we lose track of where other people are at, of the fact that in reality they are in line and time is running out. And the thought of stopping and talking to them about Jesus doesn't cross our mind. Who are the people that you'll run into this week? Good or bad, rich or poor, who are the people that you'll run into this week that desperately need to know Jesus? What are you going to do about it? You know, as a church, we try to help you out in that mission to reach people. That's, that's why we do things every once in a while. We do what we call our big push. And we do a series that's designed for you to invite people to come to church. That's what we're doing starting March 19th that Amber talked about on the, on the announcements. March 19th, that series called Fight 
It's, it's, a, it's, it's a felt need series about relationships. And so you can invite somebody to come and hear about, and hear some, hopefully some wisdom about relationships. But what they're also going to hear is the gospel. Why do we do something like that? Well, because we want to reach people. Because that was the heart of our Savior. And we want to help you do the mission that you've been given to reach people. And if you're, if you, sometimes you're going to have opportunity to specifically explain the gospel to someone. I hope you can do that. You should be able to do that. Explain what happened to you. Explain what Christ gave for you. And sometimes, though the, that opportunity is not there, we're trying to give you just another way to, to open that door. So invite somebody to come, March 19th, get them here. Why? So that if they don't respond in the service, maybe later, maybe later that week when you're at work with them or whatever, you have the opportunity to, to bring it up again. You have the opportunity to open that door to talk to them about it again. Maybe share the gospel with them then. It's, an oper- it's just a, a, a tool to use. Why do we have a campus in Paulding and a campus now at Northwood? Why are we doing that? So that our church gets bigger? Well, that's not the ultimate goal. What's the ultimate goal? So that people can come to know Jesus. Why? Because that was his heart. That's what he wanted. And we want to do what he wanted us to do. What are you going to do? How are you going to impact those around you? people all around us whose time is running out. Who's going to reach them? Where is your heart for those who desperately need to know Jesus? Find a way. Find the time. Find the words to introduce them to him. Search and rescue those whose lives are ruined. They need to know him. And if you're here and you're thinking, I've never come to know him myself, then we would be so glad to talk with you about how you can take that step, how you can come and have a relationship with him, know that your sins are forgiven, know that you have life and have eternal life when this life is over. Uh, We'd be glad to talk with you about that right after the service is over. Some of the pastors will be back here in room one, this room right back here in this corner. Please feel free to come back there and talk with us. We'd share that with you. Believer, your mission given to you by your Lord is to search and rescue those whose lives are destroyed. Introduce them to him. Time's running out. Let's stand. We'll pray. Father in heaven, I thank you for loving us. Thank you for giving us life. 
Thank you for allowing us to know you and walk through this life with you. God, you've, you've taken our, our lives, some of us, Father, uh, just in all of us that have come to know you, incredible changes. That we're grateful to you uh, for making. And uh, Father, we know you've given us this, this, this important job to do on, in this life is to reach others. Help us, God. Give us wisdom in doing that. Help us to be faithful in doing that. Give us the words to say. Give us the direction to go. Help us to view people and see them spiritually and recognize the need. And Father, I pray that you'd prepare hearts so that people would turn to you and come to faith. Thank you for blessing us with another day. I, pr I do pray for those, God, that might be here that haven't trusted in you yet. God, that today they would take that step. Again, we love you. We thank you for loving us. pray that you bless our day now in Jesus' name. Amen. Thanks so much. We'll see you next Sunday.